I'm super excited to have the opportunity to share God's word this morning. As you know, this whole year we have been um, answering a question, do I trust God? And we have kind of a mini series going on right now called Stories of Trust. And um, these are great stories. Some, we've heard some people share their stories, and in weeks to come, we're going to hear stories of trust. But the Bible is full of stories of how we can trust in God as well, and that's what I'm privileged to, to share today. Now, as we're sitting and hearing um, Mark ask us this whole year long, I mean, I don't know how many Sundays we're in, maybe 40 weeks in now, 40 Sundays that we've been talking about and answering that question, do I trust God? As I'm sitting there, it's like, duh, that's why I'm here at church is because I trust God, right? Anyone else? (laughs) And there are some things in our life, maybe for some of us, there's many things that we trust God for and that we can say, yes, I trust God. Today, I want to talk about, as an overarching theme, those deep places in our heart. There are certain things that I can easily trust God for. Things like, I know that he's my provider. I know that he is real. I know that he is healing me in my mind and in my emotions. I know that one day when I die, I'm going to go live with him forever. Those are things that I can easily trust God for. But if you go deep down into the cavern of my heart, if I, I'm not going to let you do that necessarily, if I go deep down into the cavern of my heart, there's parts of my heart where I haven't even gone there yet with God. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? That there's things that you haven't even asked that question, do I trust God with this area of my heart? And so I I want us to do a quick exercise as we start. I want you to think about something that's really easy for you to trust God with. Um, Maybe a law of nature or some character attribute of him. What is easy for you to trust God with? Got it? Okay. Now let's dig a little bit deeper. This could be hard for some of us. (laughs) Deeper, deeper, deeper down into the caverns of our heart and begin to think about what is an area of my life, of my heart, where I haven't even gone there with God yet. Or maybe I've gone there and I haven't made much progress. <laughs> or I've gone there and it's, we're, we're working this out. That's what I want you to keep in mind as I share the word today. We're going to um, read some scripture. I'm going to talk a little bit about it. And then we're going to have... I think there's five different application points, so that's going to kind of be the heart of it, is the application points of what we can get from God's Word. Because how many of us know, we we read God's Word not just to have it go in one ear and out the other, we read God's Word so that we can, um, like Jesus said, so that we can build our house, our lives upon a firm foundation, and that's what God's Word does for us. So before we do that, let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the opportunity to be in church or be participating in church via live stream. Thank you for that technology. Thank you for the health and strength um, to be able to be here. Thank you for even um, being able to hear and participate in in, um, a community of, of Christ's followers. And we just say that we're here for you today, God. We open up our hearts, we open up our ears, we open up our minds to hear from you. And Lord, I thank you that by your spirit you come and you speak to each one of us so individually. 
because each of us are at different places in our walk with you. And so thank you that you are meeting us here. We invite your presence to be here, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we're going to be looking at an interaction in the New Testament between Jesus and two different individuals. So why don't you go ahead, open up your Bible to Mark chapter 5. I'm going to be, or your electronic device, (laughs) I am going to be reading out of the New Living Translation. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible or you you know someone who does need a Bible, we have Bibles available that we like to give away out at the next step. So please um, go help yourself to one of those. And as you're um, getting opened to Mark chapter 5, I want to give a little bit of context about what we're going to be reading today. So in this portion of scripture, Jesus has been on the scene for a while. He has started his ministry, and many people know who he is, and large crowds of people are starting to follow him. And this phase of his life is known as his Galilean ministry because he is living and ministering around the Sea of Galilee. In fact, prior to what we're going to read, Jesus had just calmed a big storm on that sea that he and his disciples had found themselves in. And then he also healed a demon-possessed man, delivered a demon-possessed man. And then he and his disciples got back in a boat and went from the south side of the lake to the north side of the lake. And that's where we pick up our reading today. Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 42 says this. Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her, heal her so she can live. Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. Verse 25. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them. But she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him, so he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you, has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. While he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just 
have faith. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? This child isn't dead, only asleep. The crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave, and he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. (laughs) Well, I love these two interactions, one between Jesus and Jairus and his 12-year-old daughter, and then the other one between Jesus and a woman, an unnamed woman. And so we're going to expound just a bit on each of these stories. First of all, Jairus was a man who was some sort of Jewish official. He was in charge of a local synagogue. And in Jewish society, he would have been considered really well-respected and really important. The kind of guy that when he talks, people listen. That's the kind of guy that we're talking about here. He had a 12-year-old daughter. And by the way, did you notice the daughter was 12 years old, which was the same amount of time that the woman had suffered with that bleeding? I I don't know what that means, but I just noticed it. And his daughter, Jairus' daughter, was so sick that she was about to die. So now, whatever else Jairus might have believed or not believed about Jesus, because remember, the Jewish people believed that there would be a Messiah coming, but they didn't necessarily believe that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. But no matter what Jairus believed about Jesus and his claim to be the Messiah, Jairus had seen or at least heard of the miracles that Jesus had been doing um, throughout the land. And so that led him to believe that Jesus could heal his daughter as well. So out of desperation, he pushes through the crowds and he begs Jesus to come with him to heal his daughter. And in one version of the Bible, it says that Jesus immediately went with um, Jairus. I just love that, by the way, this is in my notes, but I love that because that word immediately means there's no, there's no pause, there's no hesitation. Jesus is just like, yep, this is why I came, let's go. <laughs> But on their way, Jesus was detained by a really brief encounter. This encounter distracted Jesus for a short time, long enough for a messenger to inform Jairus that his daughter had in fact died and that um, don't bother Jesus anymore. But then uh, Jesus looks at Jairus, he overhears what is being said, and he says to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. And I think that's a really good word for one or many of us here today. We might be having all kinds of situations going around, all kinds of distractions, and that's what is taking our focus. And I believe that Jesus is speaking to some of us here to say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid by the storm. Don't be afraid of of what's going on around here. Keep your belief in me. So they continued the journey, and when they got there, they're met with a a bunch of mourners weeping and wailing in in Jewish um, um, communities, culture, Uh, the the wailing and the mourning is a whole event. We are very uh, minimal (laughs) in our mourning here. 
mourning, grief here, but in other cultures, it's a huge event. So Jesus takes his, the mom and dad, three of his disciples, goes in and heals this girl, and she gets up, and, and she's completely healed. And I love, can you just imagine the mourners when they're out there, and they're weeping and wailing, and Jesus walks in, and the little girl walks out. That mourning was turned to joy. And if you look in Isaiah 61, it talks about what Jesus came to do. And one of the things he came to do was to turn our mourning into joy. And here's a per perfect example of that. Now let's take a moment to look at the woman in, in our text. The text says about her that she suffered really horribly from, from bleeding for 12 years, that she was under the care of various doctors, and she had spent all that she had on treating that condition, but instead of getting better, it just got worse. But then she too heard about Jesus's healing power. And unlike Jairus, who came straight up in front of Jesus, she was a little bit more timid. And I'll tell you why I think that is in just a minute. But she kind of came up behind him and just very humbly touched his robe. And when she did, because she thought, if I just could touch the, the hem of his garment, I know that I would be healed. So she did, and sure enough, instantly she was healed. I want to go just a little bit deeper for us to understand the true context of this woman and her story um, to see what can be implied by understanding the Old Testament scriptures and also the Jewish culture. So this, this woman's 12 years of bleeding is usually understood to have been under, um, some sort of a menstrual disorder of some sort. And men, I'm going to ask you to just bear with me for a moment, okay? <laughs> but this condition would have caused the woman some physical discomfort, a lack of strength amongst other things that I won't get into. But in addition to that, there was also um, the religious matter of impurity, because in those days, there were many God-given rules and regulations, and you can read all about that in the book of Leviticus and in some other areas as well. But these rules and regulations determined what made people clean or unclean. And this is a little bit difficult for us to understand because like what Pastor Mark is saying, we're grateful that we live in the new covenant, right? That all of those rules and regulations um, are not what we're living under. But I want to read to you um, the rules in regards to this situation that the woman was facing. This is Leviticus chapter 15, verses 25 through 31. It says, if a woman has the flow of blood for many days that is unrelated to her menstrual period, or if the blood continues beyond the normal period, she is ceremonially unclean. As during her menstrual period, the woman will be unclean as long as the discharge continues. Any bed she lies on and any object she sits on during that time will be unclean, just as during her normal menstrual period. If any of you touch these things, you will be ceremonially unclean. <laughs> you must wash your clothes and, and bathe yourself in water, and you will remain unclean until evening. When the woman's bleeding stops, she must count off seven days, then she will be ceremonially clean. On the eighth day, she must bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons and present them to the priest at the entrance of the tabernacle. The priest will offer one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. Through this process, the priest will purify her before the Lord for the ceremonial impurity caused by her bleeding. 
This is how you will guard the people of Israel from ceremonial uncleanness. Otherwise, they would die, for their impurity would defile my tabernacle that stands among them. Okay, so in Old Testament times, we know that God dwelt in a tabernacle, an actual dwelling place. And any unholiness that can be symbolized by, by what we read here in verses 25 through 30 of Leviticus 15, that could result in death for people if they went into the tabernacle being unclean. Because they would come into the holy God's presence And how many know that sin separates us from a holy God? And in fact, this says that people would die if they came into the the, um, tabernacle being unclean because of that sin. Sin separates all people from a holy God and results in their death unless some sort of an atonement is made. So for this woman in our story, there's some practical implications of all of this that apply to her here. What this probably means for this woman, did you notice how often it said unclean, 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 unclean? And in fact, in Jewish society, if people had to go out through a crowd, and if they were in that period of uncleanness, they had to shout unclean, unclean to warn people to be scattered away from them so that they wouldn't in turn become unclean by contact with them. So this is probably what this woman had to do. That means she probably wasn't married, because this had been going on for 12 years, or if she was married, her husband could have divorced her or left her. This probably means that this woman had very few friends because this was something that was going on for so long that people were like, I'm out. (laughs) I'm not, I can't keep doing this because of what it's costing me. Um, Also, this probably means that her family and her entire community probably shunned her Because like I mentioned, if they even touched her, they were considered unclean as well. And it makes you wonder, how long had it been since this woman had any kind of physical touch? Since anyone hugged her or touched her shoulder or, or held her hand? And then the text implicitly says that she was living in poverty because she had spent all the money she had on doctors. I don't know about you, but my heart is really filled with compassion for this woman. Because she was in a desperate situation. This wasn't just a season that she was going through. This had now become a lifestyle. How many know the difference between a a hard season and something going on that's become a lifestyle that you're living in for a long, long time? And so she very likely was at the end of her rope. And we can see that she was because... All she knew when she, after she did all she knew what to do, the only thing that had dried up were her resources. And so she decided, I, I got to go find Jesus. I've heard about him and this is my, my last hope. Now, I think it's interesting that Jairus, the little girl, had a daddy who would go to Jesus on her behalf. This woman had no one to go to Jesus on her behalf. And she had to go on her own to Jesus because she thought, if I could just touch his robe, I know that I will be healed because Jesus can do for me what I've heard and maybe even seen what he's done for others. And when she did, she was instantly healed. Her bleeding stopped. And then Jesus stops and he says, who touched me? (laughs) I, I felt the healing power go out of me. Who touched me? Now, could you imagine her fear? Because she wasn't supposed to touch people let alone Jesus. 
the holiest of holies. Just like um, the tabernacle where, where God's presence resided, here was Jesus in bodily form. And so she's like, oh man, I'm in trouble now. <laughs> but we see here that Jesus didn't want to scold her. He wanted to restore her identity. And because Jesus fulfilled all of those Old Testament laws, Jesus was showing her and everyone else around her that his kingdom wasn't about living according to rules and regulations. It was about having a relationship with him. This chronic condition marginalized this woman and changed her identity. I think it's interesting that she's not even known by a name. She's known like the the title in your Bible might say, Jesus heals the woman with an issue of lead. (laughs) That's what she was known by. Her infirmity had become her identity. I don't know if anyone here knows what that's like. (laughs) Have you ever experienced anything, whether positive or negative, good or bad, that became what you were known for, your identity? I remember when I had kids and they started going to school, I I didn't have a name anymore. I was Allie's mom or Timmy's mom. (laughs) That's the kind of thing we're talking about here. You might be known by that, or so-and-so's husband, or the person who has cancer, (laughs) or the person whose dad left when they were two years old, or the man whose wife cheated on him, et cetera, et cetera. And I believe that God is gently but persistently inviting us right now to change what we're known by. He came to this earth, he died, he rose again, so that our infirmities wouldn't become our identities. When we think of ourselves, he wants our first thought to be, I'm Kate, a well-loved daughter of God. And he wants that same for you too. Fill in the blank, I'm so-and-so, a well-loved daughter or son of God. I think part of our human nature is more concerned with what Jesus can do for us rather than truly knowing who he is. <laughs> and we can, we can see that even by looking at our prayers, right? <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with taking our needs to Jesus. That, that's what he wants us to do. But sometimes I think that can become our focus is what can Jesus do for me instead of what, what is my relationship with Jesus, knowing him for who he is. And this encounter shows us that Jesus is so much more concerned that we know who we are to him than what he can do for us. I want to look at verses 30 to 34 again from Mark chapter 5. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him, so he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing, pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. I think it was really important to Jesus that this woman was no longer identified by her ailment as she had been for the past 12 years. Now she is known by her new name. And what is it? It's daughter. Now, a daughter in a healthy family is well-loved. They're cherished, protected, provided, known, accepted, forgiven for their mistakes, and embraced. 
Now, I don't want us to miss this, that just like Jairus was a good daddy (laughs) that sought out Jesus to heal his own daughter, Jesus called this woman daughter, signifying that although she didn't have any earthly person who was watching over her like a good daddy should, she had Jesus who was watching over her. And I think that that's just so beautiful and another reason why we can love Jesus. But here's the deal. What was true of this daughter, of this woman, is true for all of us who are Christ followers. 1 John 3, 1 says, See how very much our Father loves us. He calls us his children, and that's what we are. Well, there are several points of application that I would like to make um, from this portion of scripture, things for us to think about, and maybe even some things for us to to jot down or make a mental note of to be thinking about throughout this week to do some business between us and the Lord. And the first point is this, that sometimes you go to Jesus on behalf of yourself, and sometimes you go to Jesus on behalf of someone else who can't get to Jesus on their own. The little girl in this narrative was able, unable to get to Jesus on her own because she was on her deathbed. So who in your life can't get to Jesus on their own? Maybe they don't know Jesus or believe in Jesus. Maybe they're so wounded that they don't know their true identity and how God sees them. And maybe they don't know his great love for them. Or maybe they're paralyzed by shame <laughs> and can't take the steps necessary to get to Jesus. But the good news is that we can bring people to Jesus, and that's called intercessory prayer. (laughs) Caring for someone enough to intervene um, on their behalf through prayer. And I don't want to underestimate how powerful prayer is. It's very, very powerful because prayer is what brings God's kingdom here to earth. Luke 11, 9 to 10 says it this way. So I say to you, ask it and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. I think this is a really good time for me to give a quick shout out to our uh, prayer team here at Cheney Faith Center. We have a team of people who meet every Tuesday night at 5.30 right here at the church. And they intercede on behalf of this church. They intercede on behalf of this community. They intercede on behalf of the needs of the people of this church. And there's a slide. Yep, thank you, Kellen. There's a slide up there that tells you how you can get prayer or even join the prayer team. So that's our first point of application. Sometimes we take ourselves to Jesus. Sometimes we bring someone else to Jesus who can't get there on their own. The second point of application I'd like to make is that sometimes things get worse (laughs) before they get better, and all the people said amen, right? (laughs) Many of us, if not all of us, have had a situation like that where things got worse before they got better. And I don't know why it works that way, but it seems like oftentimes that is the way that it works. And there could be some of us here that are in a, that we're in a season like that. And I, I want to say to you, if that is you, if you're in that season, I'm going to encourage you to hang on, to hang on to Jesus. And I want us to look at the example of Jesus's last days here on earth as an example of how things sometimes get worse before better, before they get better. 
So at the end of Jesus's life, he was arrested, he was falsely accused, he was beaten. And can you imagine being one of his followers and, and having to watch that? Can you imagine being the mother, moms? Can you imagine being the mother of Jesus and having to watch that? Then things went from bad to worse because if that wasn't enough, um, he was sentenced to be crucified. And then in a very, very public setting, Jesus was put on a cross and hung there for hours, enduring the ridicule and the shame of all the people. And then things got really, really bad because then Jesus died. And if we stop the story there, <laughs> that's not a story of hope, is it? However, three days later, things got better, much, much better. Jesus came back to life, and when he did, what he was saying is that there's now no hopeless situations, right? Whatever situation you're going through, whatever is going from bad to worse right now, I'm going to encourage us to bolster our hope in God, because um, if it's not good yet, then that means God's not done yet. And sometimes we get to see a, a complete answer here on earth, and that's something we can contend for, and, and I, I do contend for that in situations in my life. But one thing is, if, if it's not here, then it for sure is in heaven, right? One of my very favorite scripture, scriptures is Revelation 21, 3 to 4, and this is a picture of heaven. It says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And that deserves a, a hoop and a holler, right? That's going to be an amazing, amazing day. Let's continue to contend and keep our hopes up and our eyes focused on Jesus when we're in those situations. Our third application point is, whatever the problem, Jesus is the answer. Now, have you ever heard the story of a Sunday school teacher who was um, using squirrels for an object lesson with his um, fourth grade boys Sunday school class? And so he says, I'm going to describe something to you and I want you to raise your hand when you know what it is. The boys nodded their head, and they're like, oh, okay, great. So they said, he said, um, this thing lives in trees and eats nuts. No hands went up. And it's gray, and it has a bushy tail that's very long. The boys were looking at each other, but still no hands went up. So the teacher continued, it jumps from branch to branch, <laughs> it chatters, it flips its tail when it's excited, Finally, one brave boy raised his hand, and the teacher quickly called on him, and the little boy said, well, it sure sounds a lot like a squirrel, but the right answer must be Jesus. <laughs> and that is so true. Jesus is always the right answer because Jesus brings healing. And that's what we can see through this story, Mark chapter 5, to two different unique situations. I wanted to do just a quick word study on that word healing that's found in Mark 5, verses 28 um, and 34. And it's the Greek word sozo. And it has many different meanings, including all of these different meanings. It means safe and sound, 
It means healed, delivered, made whole, rescued, restored, and saved. Jesus is the answer for anything because this is the, the, the healing that Jesus, is bring, Jesus brings. He brings deliverance. He brings wholeness. He brings rescue, restoration, safety, healing. Now, I'm a firm believer in, in physical healing. When my kids were little, the first thing was to pray. We didn't get the baby Tylenol. Well, no, no, that sounds bad. <laughs> I gave my kids baby Tylenol, and I met their needs, okay? I don't want anyone to think I'm weird. <laughs> okay, let's say when they came with a skin knee, we put the Neosporin on it, and we put a Band-Aid on it after we prayed, unless it was gushing blood. Okay. I'm a firm believer that we should contend for healing, I have received physical healing from the Lord. I'm a huge believer in physical healing. And I also think that it's important for us to remember that healing, according to this word sozo here, all of those different definitions, it means more than just relief from sickness. It means more than just relief from disease. It also means wholeness. It means being rescued. It means being restored, being delivered and saved, being safe and sound. That type of healing includes mental healing, it includes emotional healing, spiritual healing, and that type of healing is soul deep. I believe that having a whole soul, mind, body, um, mind, excuse me, mind, will, and emotions, that's what our soul is comprised of, is our mind, our will, and our emotions. I believe that having a whole soul is just as important as having a whole body. And I encourage us to be people that ask and believe and contend for healing of all kinds. And even at the end of the service, I'm going to ask some of our prayer team to come up and to pray in faith over whatever kind of healing we may need. Another application point is that although they are distinct, faith and trust go hand in hand. We can see from our text that both Jairus and the woman had faith in Jesus. They believed that he could heal. But that belief on its own was not enough, was it? That belief had to be taken a step further. For Jairus, that meant going to seek out Jesus on behalf of his daughter. He had to use his literal feet (laughs) to take a step of faith. But so did the woman, and I personally believe that the woman had to take a, a more of a risk of a step of faith to reach out to Jesus than even Jairus did due to the reasons I already mentioned. But faith needs to grow feet to turn into trust. I like what Pablo Diaz says about the relationship between faith and trust. He says it boils down to this. Faith is a belief system. Trust is action. Faith is believing that God is who God says he is and that God can do and and that what God can do, only God can do. But trust takes things a step further. It is making the willful choice to trust that God will do what he promises. The head versus the heart. Some people have said that the longest 12 inches is between what we know in our head and, and what we know in our heart. Trust is putting faith, um, feet to faith. And one of the best ways that we can put feet to our faith is to focus on the faithfulness of God. 
How many know that when we look back or even forward or current and see what God is doing in this world, what he has done for other people, that helps faith to arise within, within us and it increases our faith. And, and even hearing this story, reading this story together this morning about how Jesus healed these two women, I hope it's allowing faith to arise in our own heart so that we can put faith excuse me, put feet to our faith that turns into trust. Because here's the deal. You can't trust God beyond what you believe about God. You can't trust God beyond what you believe about God. So the question is, what, what do we believe? What do we believe about God? What do we believe about his character? What do we believe about his heart towards us? His thoughts towards us? And how many know that, that trust, growing in trust is a lifelong process? <laughs> Wherever we're at, no matter if you've walked with Jesus for 40 years, 50 years, however long, it's a lifelong process. We're going to be continuing to grow in our trust of God until the moment we take our last breath. So let's go back to that deep guarded thing down in the caverns of our heart. <laughs> I think a a next step is to really think about what do we believe about God in regards to that thing. And if you don't know what you believe, think about what you believe. Take some time. Get Get to the root of your beliefs. Are they faulty? Are they misinformed, misguided? Because you and I are not going to be able to trust God in that hidden place beyond beyond what we believe about God in that hidden place. And so I want to encourage you to take some time this week um, to deal with that deep guarded place of your heart. And even if you're not ready to go there, God, God's spirit is so gentle. He'll, he'll keep, what about this? What about this? And, and I, I believe that he's going to keep working on with us with that. For some of us, it's just a matter of, oh, yeah, I guess I, I didn't realize I have something deep down in there that needs some... some um, acknowledgement. But God's going to keep working on that through the power of his spirit. And we want to ask him to help us believe him him more. There's a story in the Bible where um, God's going to heal someone and um, they say, if you can. And Jesus said, what do you mean if I can? And they respond with, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. (laughs) How many of us can agree with that? Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Those are two sides of the same coin, but that's a great way to begin is is praying that prayer. God, help me to know you more, to really know who you are, not my misconceptions about who you are, what other people have represented who you are to me, but truly who you are. Lord, I want to know who you are more and more. And God has given us a whole lifetime, no matter how many years that may be, But he's given us a whole lifetime to learn how to trust him with every part of our lives. And I don't know about you, but when I'm on my deathbed, whenever that might be, my goal is to be there with a heart that's completely trusting God in every area of my life. The seen and the deep unseen that maybe no one will ever even know besides me and Jesus. Yesterday morning in my Bible reading, I came across just such a beautiful scripture and I wanted to include it in the message. It's Psalm 62, 8. And it says, trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him 
for God is our refuge. Isn't that beautiful? Doesn't that have beautiful imagery? What this is saying is that God is our safe place. And that's why you can go to those deep places with him because he is safe. Your heart is safe with Jesus. You may have felt like your heart is not safe with any other human person in this world. But I'm telling you that your heart is safe with Jesus. And I believe that as we learn to trust him, one day that thing that's so guarded, as, as gently the Holy Spirit brings it to the surface and we do work with him on that, I believe that one day that thing that's so guarded will be the thing that you share as a story of hope with others. Because that's part of our job in the body of Christ is to um, bolster hope in one another. That's a privilege that we get as the body of Christ. We get to lend our hope to one another. That, and that hope is what helps others to trust in God. It helps them in, increase in their trust. And so another question I have for you for this week is who can you share your story of trust with this week? We all have a story. Um, it could be something current. It could be something a little bit ago. It could be something we're still waiting and, ho and hoping in and trusting God for that we have yet to see realized. But as we close, I wanted to share a, a story of hope from our family. And so about 10 years ago, I, had, I have a niece. And 10 years ago, um, she was 15 years old. And she was struggling severely with an eating disorder. And it got so bad that she went into an in-treatment facility. And as an extended family, we started praying for her. We were praying for her through that whole time, but we increased our prayers for her. And one of her other aunts even did a three or four week fast. And instead of drinking coffee on her 30 minute commute to work, she would pray instead. And she said she'd also drink green tea that's what she said. <laughs> she said, instead of being happy on my way to work, drinking my coffee, I use that time drinking green tea and praying. But she prayed three specific things over this niece. First of all, she prayed that she would get healing. Second of all, she prayed that she would have a future. And then third of all, she prayed, she took it a step further, not just um, healing and a future, but she took it a step further and she said, and God, would you even be able to help her help other people moving forward in her life? Well, three weeks ago, our family were all down in Arizona celebrating this niece's wedding. Her 25-year-old beautiful niece who got married. She no longer suffers with the eating disorder. She has a beautiful life, and she is indeed helping others as a licensed mental health therapist. And that's a story of trust. Yeah, amen. That time as a family was really hard, as you can see from my own response. But you know what else? God is so good and God is so faithful. That time took a lot of faith and a lot of trust. We had to put feet to our faith and God saw us through. And God doesn't just do that for me. God does that for all of us. We're gonna go to prayer. Would you um, bow your head, close your eyes. 
there's two different responses that, that I feel like the Holy Spirit is leading us. And whatever he spoke to you through this message, because I believe he speaks, um, whatever that is, do, do your own business with him. Um, take that to him and even take that to him throughout this week. But there's two specific things. The first thing is um, there's some of us here right now that are going through something. And, and I believe that Jesus's word to us is don't be afraid, um, just believe. If that resonates with you, would you raise your hand so I could pray over you? Okay, thank you. You can put your hands down. I'm going to pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you, Jesus, that your word tells us that your perfect love casts out fear. And as humans, it's so easy to go to fear, especially for the things that we can't have any control over. But your word to us right now is you don't want us to be afraid. You're speaking to us, fear not for I am with you. When you walk through the fire, I'll be with you. When you go through the deep waters, they will not overtake you. Lord, you are calling us to increase our belief in you. And Lord, uh, a prayer that is perfectly acceptable to you is, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I pray that faith would arise in this room right now in Jesus' name. I pray for my brothers and sisters who raise their hand that they would keep their eyes focused on you because you are our firm foundation, Lord. We don't get to tell you how to handle things in our lives. We just get to surrender to you and say, God, I trust you, and I'm trusting you with this in Jesus' name. Okay, while heads are still bowed, the, the last thing that I felt was that I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to breathe some new life into weary hearts. And so I'm wondering if there's anyone here who has what I call a resignated spirit. And what I mean by that is that um, you have thought in your mind or even said out loud, this is as good as it's going to get, and therefore you've given up. Is there anyone that that resonates with them that they would just raise their hand? Okay. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Thank you that you are calling us as a church, a, a, a group of Christ followers. You're calling us to trust you more and more. Thank you that you are always working in our lives. Even when we don't see it with our physical eyes, give us um, hope and trust to believe that you are working. And Lord, it could be that you're even asking some of us here this morning um, to put some feet to our faith. You're asking us to take a step. And for some of us, it might seem bizarre or out of the ordinary or odd, but I believe that your Holy Spirit is speaking to people and you're, you're asking us to take a step of faith. So whatever that is that you're feeling or sensing in your heart or mind right now, just believe that that is from the Lord and, and put feet to that. Um, have the courage to do that. Thank you, Jesus, for this time together. Lord, um, we just love you. Thank you for loving us first. May we truly be um, followers of Christ in every area of our life, in our home life, at our work, in our community, in our neighborhood, 
and, and give us um, courage to share our stories of trust with each other as well so that we can bolster one another's faith and trust in you. And Lord, finally, I just want to pray over Candy Corner Carnival today. Thank you for the opportunity to bless, on, bless our community and love on them. We're asking for safety and protection for everyone coming and going. That people would sense your spirit, your presence, your love, Lord. That you would draw people to yourself. Thank you for the privilege of being Jesus to our community. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to invite um, our prayer team people to come up. And if you have something specific that you would like personal prayer for, I invite you to come on up. We never want to leave here with, with something that we could ask someone to be joining in prayer for. That's what helps build our, our faith and trust in God. So God bless you. Have a great week. Always remember that Jesus loves you very much. And so do Mark and I. <laughs>